Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. The illustrious Catherine Elaine Mitchell Murphy is with me tonight, I guess. People get to know that. And I am so excited she's here. Uh, Catherine and I are cousins. And I'll let Catherine discuss how closely we're related, but it's best <laughs> to say that we're cousins. We are family. Um, and I always tell people, okay, I'm just going to jump into that. I tend to people, I tend to tell people that we are first cousins. Wait, we're second cousins once removed, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then I always jump in and say, we're just cousins. We're just cousins. Just own me. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine is amazing. And so we're going to start off tonight talking about what is something that is you are currently doing that is bringing you joy. Hey, um, something I'm currently doing that is bringing me joy. Um, I guess two things. One thing is I'm trying to slow down more and just be present with my kids. And that has been bringing me a lot of joy. And then I've been trying to be outside a lot more this year. So I started doing the 1,000 hours outside challenge. And it has been bringing me a lot of joy, just remembering how beautiful the earth is and how I'm happier and my kids are happier. It's like everybody's happier when we're outside, as long as we're in shade during summer. (laughs) Um, Asterisk right there. Um, I am curious about what is the, I assume, 1,000 hours in the year? Yes, a thousand hours in the year. Yeah, that's great. And do you have any specific moments of being able to be more present? Um, I've been trying to just actually play with my kids. Like they're in my house a lot and I'm around them a lot and I watch them play and make sure that they're not destroying things or trying to limit how many things they destroy. But I've just been trying to play with them and just slow down and I get on the floor and pull out a game and literally play with them. And yeah, so that's one way that I'm trying to do that. That's great. Did your mom do that? I don't remember her doing that. She might have. I remember her saying, so I'm I'm the youngest in my family. And so maybe some of her play energy got used up by the time she got to me. (laughs) But I remember her saying that she felt bad that she didn't take me to parks more. And I remember I would ask her all the time, like, can we go to a park? And I remember her telling me later in life that that was a regret of hers that she didn't take me to parks more. But um, yeah. That's interesting. And um, you have been teaching painting classes. And I'm curious how you developed this talent and this business. So um, it's kind of a long story, so I'll try to keep it short. But 
One of my college roommates, her dad manufactured face paint. And so she would face paint us occasionally. And I always thought it was so cool. And I wanted to do it so bad, but I'd never told her for some reason. (laughs) And then she came out and visited me five years ago. And I asked her if she could teach me how to face paint. So she brought a starter kit, taught me how to paint a tiger. And she left the starter kit with me, which I was so excited about. And I just practiced all the time and I fell in love with it. I watched tons of YouTube videos and I was kind of embarrassed that I fell in love with it because a lot of my friends weren't doing face painting. I didn't know anyone doing face painting. A lot of my friends had really cool corporate jobs and I was getting into face painting. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I just got into face painting and I did that for a few years And then when COVID hit, I couldn't face paint. And so I started doing watercolor and I fell in love with watercolor. And then a friend reached out to me and asked me to teach a paint class to his coworkers for like a manager's retreat. And the day before he had to cancel and he was really kind and offered to pay for all the supplies I had purchased, but I felt bad for him. So I said, oh, no, it's okay. I'll just try to do some paint classes with people to make that money back. And that's how it happened. So then I just put myself out there and said, Hey, does anybody want me to teach them how to paint? And I did not take any courses on painting. So I felt uncomfortable doing it. I was sure to add the word beginners paint class when I started, because I didn't want people to think I was some expert at this because I wasn't, but Anyway, so I watched a bunch of videos on YouTube and there's some incredible teachers out there and I just went for it and it's been awesome and my classes have filled up and it's been really fun. Um, And I'm curious, I, when we had the paint class at my house, one of the things that was the, my favorite part of it was watching every single person feel satisfaction from having come to my house I felt like every person left satisfied. It was so awesome. So I'm yeah. curious what you've experienced with other people in that ability that people have to do something maybe that they normally wouldn't do as well. Mm-hmm. Something that's really important is to help people frame how they're going to look at the evening or the time. So I try to start off the classes with reminding people that they're being brave that to try something new. So even if it doesn't work out well, they can know that they came to something and that they were brave to try something new. And so I just try to keep a real positive environment. I try to help them focus on what they like about what they did rather than what they didn't like. Cause everything that someone creates, they can critique and talk about all the things that went wrong, but also with things that we create each time we create something, we're learning something through the process. And so I try to focus then draw people's attention to what they learned or what's something that they liked about what they did. So I think that helps kind of set the tone for we're going to have fun tonight. There aren't expectations and try to focus on either what you're learning or something positive that you did do in your painting. Do you think that people are inclined and this is a yes or no question, but in your experience, did you are did you go into the first class being prepared to help people with their mindset? No, no. <laughs> the first class I had was with moms and daughters. It was lots of different ages. And um, I just, anyways, you know, the first time you do something, you have no idea what you're doing. That's how it felt. So I was like, okay, we're starting. Okay, hold your brush. Oh my gosh. 
oh, you need paint. Okay, yeah, right. Okay, here's some paint. <laughs> so anyways, but uh, one of the girls was critiquing her work a lot and was getting kind of sad about it. She's probably seven, I think. And I learned from the mom and she was saying really great things. And I was taking notes in my mind and she was saying things about focus on what's going well or look at how good your shapes are. And she said, remember, you know, we're just trying this out for the first time. So it might be hard, but as we keep trying, you know, it's going to get better. I can't remember everything she said, but she was just so good at that. And so that made me realize, oh, I need to start this class off with those reminders at the very beginning, you know, trying to um, mitigate the chances for those meltdowns. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, how have you in your own life uh, been able to overcome negative, the natural woman, which is negative? uh, How have you overcome or how have you tried to quell that yeah I wish I knew who or what to give credit to but um along the way someone or some books taught me uh to listen to the voices in your head and how you speak to yourself and that was really eye-opening hearing what I would say to myself And I remember the thing that sticks out the most is I used to call myself a fat lard. (laughs) And I remember hearing it, like taking the time to actually hear myself say that to myself and just thinking, wow, you know, I would never say that to somebody else and just trying really hard to be kind to myself. And so once I started noticing that, it really made me, it really motivated me to change that. And yeah, I can't remember when it was, but it was a few years ago, maybe five years ago. I realized I wasn't nice to myself one day in my head. I was being rude to myself. And I was so grateful in a way because I recognized it as a foreign thought. And I realized I haven't done this in a really long time. And it just made me so happy that I hadn't, I realized I hadn't done that in a really long time. And so, yeah, it was just a real conscious effort, I think, for a long time to, to just, not go down those paths of negativity and be like, that's not fun. I don't want to live there. I don't want to, nope, I'm not going to do that. So even just recently, um, my husband and I went to this youth camp and after the youth camp, I was thinking about things I wish I would have done differently. And I could have been better here. I could have, you know, reached out to this youth more. I could have done this. And I caught myself and I said, okay, Catherine, what did you do well? I was like, okay, yes. Okay. I reached out to this one kid that was sitting by himself. That was really good. Okay. I went and said hi to this other leader that I felt was kind of cold to me. Okay. That was good. And I just started going down this path of what did I do well, rather than what didn't I do well? So yeah, those kind of things. And I'm curious how you developed your identity as a child of God. Hmm. Man, thankfully, again, a lot of people told me that growing up that I was a child of God and that I was awesome and that I had this divinity within me. And I think the repetition of it really made it stick. And, um, and then I think seeing other people suffer, not knowing their identity kind of helped me solidify my own identity 
by trying to teach them their identity. And as I would say it to people and just say, no, you, you are amazing. You might not just know it quite yet, but, and just trying so hard to convey that to other people just solidified even more that the truth I was trying to help them see was a truth that I I really, truly believed in myself. When I was with Jonah, your son, the other day, (laughs) he said to, uh, I think, how did he say this to me? Um, I think I said, no, no, it was actually Matthew. So Matthew, I said something like, oh man, now I cannot. Okay. Maybe it's not going to come to me, but I feel like I said something in kind of a, a way that I, I said, oh, Matthew, or I kind of labeled somebody some way, or I lab, I labeled the activity as kind of maybe negative. I said something like, oh, that was, that was bad. And he's like, no, it was a bad choice. I was like, wow, you know? And so I'm curious, what lessons have you learned from them that they've reflected back to you of things that you're doing well as a parent? Hmm. Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's so easy to think about the mistakes right now. (laughs) Okay, I guess something... um, Matthew's my older one, so he's six, and then Jonah's four. I just have two. And Matthew, um, he'll come to me and tell me I'm not talking kind, which I really appreciate because um, I think I've shown him that he's allowed to parent me, kind of. He's allowed to be one of my helpers in life. And so I think that's something I've done well is when he does correct me, when he says, Mom, you're not being nice right now, or Mom, you need to take a deep breath or you're not being patient or, you know, sometimes he'll say, mom, I don't think you meant that. I think you're just really mad right now. (laughs) So those little things I think give me hope. And I feel, I feel good about that. I've been modeling that it's okay for him to correct me. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. That's perfect. And, um, So you and I have discussed the importance of living a simple life. And sometimes you've even said like a mediocre life, which I guess there's kind of like, those can be interpreted two different ways. I think simplicity and mediocre are very different in their uh, feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, What do you, what does that mean to you? And why are you passionate about that? Yes. So I guess I'll talk first on the mediocre aspect and then the simple aspect. Cause like you said, they are different. So I, my husband is a dreamer and very ambitious and he'll say things like reach for the stars. And I'll say, reach for the trees because <laughs> they're within reach and they're very beautiful and stuff. And he, anyways, we've talked about this and he doesn't like that. And he thinks, no, you got to dream big and stuff. So my idea behind that is that I feel that there is a lot of pressure in the world to be amazing by the world's standards. And so I think it's okay to embrace a mediocre life according to the world's standards. Like you don't have to own a really successful company. You don't have to have this booming career. You don't have to make a lot of money or get a lot of attention or be liked by a lot of people. I think the mediocre part is just it's okay to be average, but to be 
an extraordinary you. So I still believe in being a dreamer, like dreaming that you can be your best self, but just being really careful of how you measure your success. And I just want everyone to know that you can live an incredibly average life and be extremely happy. I feel like that's kind of the sweet spot in life is to kind of be average because people don't expect a lot out of you, but to be extraordinarily kind and to just be your best, most loving, giving self. Okay. So that's the mediocre part. (laughs) And that's why I feel passionate about that. And then a simple life. I think it's important to have a simple life um, so that you can give and receive love to the like best extent or to the best way possible. Uh, I feel that, and I've experienced in my own life that when I am too busy, even if it's with good things, I just can't give the kind of love I want to give. For example, with my spouse, I'm very short with him because I'm trying so hard to do these other things. And there's so much going on in my brain. I can't really calm my brain down to give him the attention that someone that important to me should receive. And so I'm shorter with him. I'm ruder to him or my kids. For example, also with kids, it is very normal for them to spill and to make messes and to break things and to just make mistakes. But when I am so busy and I'm living a complex life, I literally don't have time for messes and they make me irate and I take it out on them and it's not their fault that they're a kid. But when I'm too busy, I feel so pressured to get things done that I literally do not have time for them to make mistakes, which is extremely unfortunate. So I feel like I can't love them the way that they should be loved, that the way that they deserve to be loved. And I feel like I don't have the ability to accept that love into my life because I'm just too busy to let people show me that they love me. Wow. Irritability. How have you improved or like, how have you become aware of that so that and for me it's irritability it's my probably my biggest weakness and so I'm just curious how have you like when you recognize that you're short with your spouse or you're short with your kids like what has helped you to like step out of it and maybe if you see it from the outside perspective enough to be reflective or how have you improved on that and how have you how have you done that yeah Um, it's definitely a process. I'm not where I want to be yet. I, I kind of, am quick to say that my husband's really ambitious, but I've been noticing more recently that I have more ambition than I thought I had. (laughs) And I always want to try to kind of start something on the side. That's just for fun. But then I always end up trying to make money from it without that even being my goal at the onset, but it just happens. And so I've just been realizing that more recently in the last few months, especially with these paint classes, just realizing, oh yeah, I did it again. (laughs) Like I took, I bit off more than I could chew and I don't like this. I don't, I don't like who I am. I don't like how my kids look at me when I'm mad or they look afraid of me. I don't like those feelings. And so, um, Something I did do a year ago or maybe two years ago when I was face painting, I decided I wanted to take a break 
because I had noticed I was filling my free time with face painting gigs. And so from September to December, I took a break from face painting. And that was hard because people reach out to me and say, hey, we're so excited to have you back. You face painted at my girl's birthday party for four years in a row. And she's so excited to have you for year five. I was like, ah, 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 dang it. <laughs> like I feel so bad. But anyway, so I just made that commitment to myself that I was going to take a break and it really was wonderful. And so um, just noticing when I kind of get ugly in a way in my relationships, just thinking, I don't want this. I just really don't want this. I really want to have loving relationships with the people that matter to me, you know, whether that's your family or your friends, just whoever is important to you in your life. So yeah, I'm just trying to, I don't know, curtail how much I do. I'm just taking breaks from things. So wise. Um, and what are your thoughts on delayed gratification and restriction? Oh my goodness. I love these things so much. <laughs> um, I think when I was in college, someone brought up that term delayed gratification. Maybe it was in a class or something. I don't remember. I wish, again, I wish I could give credit to somebody, but I loved the concept of just waiting, waiting for things and how it's okay to wait. And I remember when uh, smartphones came out, I remember thinking about this concept of delayed gratification and I thought, I'm not going to get one. I'm purposefully not going to get one. I'm just going to wait until I, I need it kind of, or I, I want it too bad. I have to have it kind of thing. So I was waited and waited and waited and waited. And I think it had been maybe four or five years. And then I finally got one. And it was so exciting. And I was teaching high school at the time. And I remember telling my students about um, delayed gratification. And I said, you guys, I just got a smartphone and it is amazing. And most of them in the classroom had smartphones. And so they, I felt like they thought I was kind of silly, but anyways, I just think when you delay things and you just wait for them and you don't get into the habit of having things right now, I feel like you just have more control over the joy in your life. Because I think when you get used to immediate gratification, you start to expect it. And then when you're expecting things too much and not getting them, I think it just kind of leads to disappointment and sadness, but just purposefully trying to delay some things in life, it just really can heighten the joy of having them and the appreciation for having them. Can you give an example of something that you have delayed gratification on besides the phone? I can think of one thing you've definitely done, which is like taking a week to eat a Snickers bar. Oh, yeah. That practice, is that like a conscious thing or is that just because you like to prolong the experience? Yeah, I, I wish there was some nobility in that, but I don't think there is. I just genuinely don't like sweets a whole lot. I just like them in little doses. So I'll just, I'll eat a bite of Snickers and then I'll just wait because I just don't want it anymore. And then I'll eat it when I want it kind of a thing. But it's not like a self-discipline, amazing kind of a quality. But a different thing I did one time was with the later gratification is I went a year without buying clothes because I just realized... Um, I just thought I had too many clothes and, and I'm not really a big clothes person or shoes, but I was just thinking about, I think it was refugees were, um, a hot topic. And I was just thinking about how little they had and just thinking, 
I could probably go without for a whole year without buying something new and be just fine. And I did it. And I did buy one thing. I remember about one thing, but for the most part, I did it. And something that was wonderful about that was I don't feel like it heightened my joy when I did start to buy things again, but it just realized that that practice wasn't bringing me the joy that I thought it was. So going without it, I realized I really don't need to get new clothes as frequently as I was getting them and just realizing that that was a want and not a need and that it was just something that didn't bring me as much joy as I thought it did. So it was just kind of a fun learning experiment. What is something awesome about being in your family? This can be your nuclear family or this can be the family from whence you came. Okay, I'll talk about my nuclear family. Something I like about my nuclear immediate family is um, that we keep trying and that we give each other a lot of grace. I feel that my spouse, Shane, he is just really good at accepting my weaknesses and he's a very safe place to tell him my mistakes and he doesn't get mad at me. So if I lie to him about something, I, we have a rule that if we lie to some about something that we try to tell each other within 24 hours. And it's just a beautiful thing that I can come to him and say, Hey, yesterday I lied to you about this thing because I wanted you to feel bad for me. And I didn't like that. And I'm sorry. And the truth is this, it's just this incredible, I feel like incredible environment where we can admit that we made mistakes that are embarrassing. It's embarrassing to say, I tried to manipulate you. Like that's not a comfortable thing to admit about yourself, but it's wonderful that it is comfortable with him and with our kids. I feel, I think that they feel that too. Um, our oldest, Matthew, he'll come to us and say, mom, I made a mistake. I hit Jonah on purpose because I was mad at him or, you know, he'll just come and tell us things and we'll say, Oh, yay. I'm so glad you told me. And that's usually kind of the extent of it. We don't you know, need to really do much more after that. We just tell him we're so glad they told us. So that's something I really like about our family. And what is something um, that you, in your marriage, what's something that you enjoy? I mean, you kind of said this about what you enjoy about being married to Shane, uh, but do you want to add to that? Yeah. Something else I really like about our marriage is um, that we've actively tried to get help the whole time we've been married. So when we were first engaged or no, first married, we went around and we interviewed a bunch of couples that we looked up to and admired and just got advice for them. And then we started going to marriage retreats, trying to get advice from professionals. We've gone to counseling together. And I just really appreciate that my husband understands that a good marriage just doesn't happen, that it takes a lot of hard work in the right ways because marriage is hard. And people can try really, 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 really hard. But if they're not trying really hard while being humble, then it's not going to work. So I really appreciate that about my spouse, that he's humble enough to admit that we need help to have a happy marriage. Is that what you would give as your marriage advice to the world? Or what do you feel like more people need to understand about marriage? Is the humility piece? I feel like you gave some little gems right there. Yeah, I feel like the humility piece is really big. Um, I think another thing 
that's so important is understanding that the way your spouse treats you is not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of them because there's um, some difficult things in marriages and sometimes your spouse can treat you really poorly and it can be easy to think, wow, I must be a crappy person if someone's treating me like this. But I think that's just a really important thing to understand. And, um, and then to try to admit that while you're having a fight in a marriage, my husband and I have a great marriage, but we have fights. And I think that is so important. Conflict handled well is just really essential in a marriage. Um, so I wish more people could slow down during a fight and take a step back and just say that out loud. The way I'm treating you right now is not your fault. Um, just recently, Shane said that to me, maybe like a week or two ago. And I just, I just like threw my arms around him and just said like, ah, I love you. I love you so much. That is just incredible that in the heat of the moment, he could step back and say the way I'm treating you right now is not your fault. It's just incredible. Um, do you have any advice for people on conflict resolution? Is that it that you feel like they just need to breathe or what do you feel like helps people in the heat of the moment to try to bring it back down? Yeah. So, um, some things that we learned when we went to those marriage retreats is, um, there's a bunch of things, but one thing that really helped us was they talked about in every couple, there is a pursuer and a retreater. So there's one person that's going to try to pursue the conversation more and try to solve it when you're having a fight. And then there's one person that's most likely going to try to retreat and kind of run away from the problem. And he, the counselor, he just gave us really good tools for that. He said the retreater needs to identify their desire to retreat and kind of run away. And they need to say, I am overwhelmed or I'm overstimulated or I'm too emotionally charged right now. Or if you, if you can't even say that, you can just say like, I can't handle this. <laughs> like, I need a break. I'm going to leave. I will be ready to talk about this in an hour. Something like that. It's just so you're owning what's happening, what you're doing. And then the pursuer needs to respect that and just say, okay, and give them that hour. And it's both of their responsibility to come back in an hour and say, hey, where are we at? And if the retreater still needs more time, they can say, hey, I don't think I'm going to be ready to talk about this till tomorrow. Like I'm still really angry or something like that. So that was a skill, a tool that was really helpful for us. Uh, we are huge proponents of going to counseling because they can just give you an incredible tools. I feel like there's just so many tools to conflict resolution that are out there that um, can benefit marriages. So that retreating thing was really helpful. Something else we started doing early on in our marriage is we just started to catch ourselves when we were starting to not be kind. Because there's always this point in the conversation where it goes, it starts going sour. And so I feel like over the years, we've started to identify that a lot quicker. Be like, hey, we're not talking kind to each other. I think we need to stop. Or we start getting like too sarcastic or just nasty with each other. I feel like we've gotten really good at saying we need to stop. Like this isn't beneficial. So, and I'm curious, how have you burned bridges in the past with like relationships from the past where you came and you married somebody, but in the past you'd have had people who you were with before or previously, how did you like let go of those relationships completely in your marriage? Oh, like stop thinking about past boyfriends or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 
where you've had like, where you're like, why am I still sort of like attached to this previous experience or this previous relationship? Yeah. Versus being in the relationship I'm in. Yeah. That's such a great question. So, um, that was definitely a hard thing for me. So I had dated a variety of people. Um, and one of them I dated for a long time. And so when I got married, I was really torn even after being married, um, because I was still thinking about this other person a lot. And, uh, I was comparing my spouse to them a lot. Um, when things were not going well with me and my spouse, I think, I wonder if this person would do that or something, you know, just trying to, it's so easy to think grass, the grass is greener on the other side. But for me, I made it a matter of prayer and I just prayed a lot and asked Heavenly Father to show me the beauty of my union with my current husband, because I felt very good about marrying my husband. I felt a really simple, calm answer to marry him. And so I trusted that Heavenly Father wanted us to be happy. And so I went to him and just asked every day for probably a year, help me to see the beauty of our union. And I felt like it literally was a miracle that Heavenly Father helped me work through my feelings um, and understand what I was doing, that I was comparing them and that there's no way for me to know if I could be happier with the other person. Yeah, anyway, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, just like constantly trying to look for the good in my spouse and not compare because um, it just doesn't do you any good to try to compare. So I feel like it was a gift from Heavenly Father and my spouse, again, I just feel like he's really emotionally mature and I was able to talk to him about it. And I just told him one day, I said, I am so conflicted and confused because I still love this other person and I don't understand what to do with those feelings. And he was so mature and he just said, okay, all right. He just listened. And he's just said, what, what do you want me to do with this? And I said, I don't know. And I was bawling. <laughs> like, I'm so confused. And then it just hit me that I felt a lot of guilt that I had led this other person on telling him that I loved him, that I wanted to marry him when deep down, I didn't really want to marry the other person. And anyways, there was just so many different facets to it that I had to work through. And I finally came to the realization that it was okay to still love somebody and care deeply for them but to not entertain the thoughts of being with them. Yeah, that's so powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Thank yeah. You. Um, and what has helped you gain a testimony of Jesus Christ? Um, something that has helped me gain a testimony of Jesus Christ is acting on the scriptures. So the scriptures are full of a lot of invitations and I've taken a lot, taken a lot of those invitations to heart and I've prayed with the energy of my heart, the energy of my soul to know if there was a Christ. And then I've tried really hard to act on the promptings I receive. And um, I guess just taking a lot of steps into the, the dark and being really comfortable with failure I feel like I've tried a lot of different things spiritually that I thought were going to work out or that were going to be this like magic ticket to a certain feeling. And then they weren't. And that was hard. And it kind of felt like a setback. But um, being okay with that and being okay with the fact that gaining a testimony is a process and just continually trying to exercise that faith by taking action to do the things that the scriptures invite us to do. 
I feel like that's helped me gain a testimony of Jesus Christ. And then also one of the biggest ways, which is so special and sacred to me, is serving people. I've asked Heavenly Father for years to give me eyes to see and ears to hear, just the eyes to see spiritually and to hear spiritual things. And that prayer has been answered in really special, sacred ways as I've been trying to serve other people. And that's giving me a huge testimony that Christ loves me because I've felt his love for other people in really profound ways at really specific times where they, you know, there's where they were specifically like in the middle of a prayer asking Heavenly Father if he loved them. And then I got a prompting to call that person and tell them, hey, I haven't talked to you in two years, but I just wanted to call and tell you like Heavenly Father loves you a lot. Just these incredible experiences that there's no way I could have known that person was in the middle of that prayer. I hadn't thought of them in two years. Just these really spiritual, perfect timings has really helped me gain a testimony of Jesus Christ and that he loves and cares about the details of our lives because I've been able to be an instrument in his hands and having those spiritual eyes and those spiritual ears to help other people. I've definitely been the recipient of your spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. So I'm grateful for you, Catherine. Um, And also if you could give somebody um, just advice on, on being a neighbor, because you are a good neighbor to others. um, What would you invite other people to do more of in this world that needs good neighbors? Um, I would invite people to slow down and spend time with people. Um, it's just so easy to be busy and to not have time for people and to try to avoid somebody or to try to avoid an awkward situation. But my invitation would be to slow down and to intentionally spend time with people. Um, one of my really good friends was telling me recently that she feels alone and it made me so sad because she is one of my most favorite people. She's such a gem. And I told her I wanted to make a billboard by her house that just says this person's amazing. Spend time with them. And I just feel it's so true that you can learn something from anybody and that it's not going to be a waste of your time to intentionally give somebody your time. And to embrace awkward situations and to just accept it. Like you, like someone told me recently that they thought I was good, um, had good social skills. And I thought, what? I feel like I'm so awkward. I say awkward things all the time. Every single day I say something weird. And I think I've just accepted the fact that I'm going to continue to be in awkward situations the rest of my life. So just accept that you're going to be in awkward situations and intentionally spend time with people. Awesome. And then uh, I feel like I just want to thank you, Catherine, for being what you taught. Uh, I just think you are what you say. So what an awesome way to live. So I'm so grateful for you. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for giving me the chance to think through these things and, uh, I really appreciate you too. You know I love you a ton. Love you so much. What a treasure you are. Likewise.